You are listening to a new episode of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast. We like to talk about board games we've recently picked up, tabletop games we're currently playing, and everything we love about D&Dflation. So this is going to be our part two of D&D all day, every day. I can't believe I forgot that on our first cut, Ryan. Uh, but yeah, so if you're catching us and you're a fan of video games and D&D, you're just like us and uh, you're going to enjoy this episode. So Ryan, I understand that you have had a severe drought of D&D since we last recorded. Yeah, since we uh, last talked about D&D on this podcast, my uh, whole game kind of ended and We've not gotten back into playing, so I actually, I've got no pickups, and I've got no currently playing, so as always, John, I will defer to you, because you're always picking up and playing stuff. Always picking up and playing stuff. So, uh, you know, you're welcome to join that campaign. I'll call you out here on the episode, uh, but I know it's uh, on a Saturday, and you got stuff going on. You can't spend all day with John. Your wife might have questions. Hashtag too much John. Too much John. Go check it out on Twitter. Okay, so uh, recent pickups. I am going to be starting my own campaign here pretty soon so i'll be dming so a lot of this episode is actually going to be me asking ryan lots of questions on dming in his experience and also playing with other dms uh, but our group is going to be doing the descent into avernus so that is our coming campaign it is going to be pretty much like mad max in hell for DD. is kind of how i've heard it and to prepare for this campaign i have got a lot of pickups i picked up the avernus screen so I need a DM screen, and why not go for Vernus? It's beautiful. I picked up battle mats, so you can go on Amazon, and they have, like, these really big poster-sized battle mats, and they have different terrains, so you got one that's, like, just a dungeon style, another one that's, uh, like, a sandy-type style, traditional, white, um, beach, uh, forest, plains, like, all this crazy stuff. It's, like, 25 bucks. Battle mats are cool. I was always kind of on the verge of buying battle mats, but, like, I do love to draw on a whiteboard. Yeah, and I'll, you can get really creative and fun if you've got like the right mind for it, but you got to be quick. Yeah, and so I'll be drawing on these as well. Like I'll have the battle mats and I'll draw on them, but at the same time, I do kind of like that aesthetic of like, okay, here's what we got going. And I, I will at some point pick up like walls and whatnot or make it out of, you can use uh, insulation foam. Oh gosh. Like there's tons of cool stuff you can do, but See, it's... This is my big problem. Like once you, once you go full... You gotta go. Yeah. Like you can't have like these awesome looking minis on top of garbage, and you can't have walls with like just little meeples substituted in for figures. Like once you start to build up, like I feel like it just it runs away from you, and all of a sudden it's like it's full bore or nothing. So you're saying that it snowballs into me purchasing a case of minis? For Avernus? Yes, 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 it did. It did. It did. <laughs> so it snowballed into that and picking up other minis as well. So I got like skeleton minis, hellhounds. Um, I picked up a couple mages because there's mages. Did you get it. the full set? Yeah, I got the full set. So if you get a case, you're kind of guaranteed for the most part getting the full set for at least Avernus. Not all of them are like that. But I got uh who's it? Uh Zariel, who is the uh the devil that is in charge of Avernus or leads that front. So I'm still kind of learning, you know, the whole Nine Hells and a Blood War and everything else, but uh, Zariel's kind of the big baddie in that campaign. And yeah, I got him for a mini. I've got a Legion Pit Fiend, um, just various enemies that are in the campaign. And yeah, it was pretty good. 
the stuff that doesn't have or like it doesn't have zombies it doesn't have skeletons within the mini case you know stuff like that so at some point here i'll probably end up picking up another one like the monster's menagerie because uh, that has like zombies and skeletons i believe so despite the fact i already got skeletons there's other enemies and such that are in that particular box uh, i think let's see are there imps in there there's tons of stuff so that's kind of my goal i'm gonna wait till it hits a sale usually miniature market and uh well i got this one off of I forget, I think it was Game Nerds is where I bought my case off of because it was like 320 for a case or 340 and they're normally about 400 to 500. So I picked up a case for about 340 uh, with free shipping through Game Nerds and then I'm going to be keeping an eye on Miniature Market for that Monster's Menagerie to see if it hits a sale. If it hits 320, I'll probably pull the trigger and buy it and I get more minis, of course. Uh, storage for minis, that's another part. You know, you got to keep them all nice and neat. And so I found... As uh, I look around John's room... He, he told me this morning about all the games that he sold that were laying on the floor in here. And it doesn't look much cleaner. I can just imagine this room littered with little figures and an army. Didn't I show you where I have them held? No, yeah, you showed me that. But okay. I'm just saying, like, I can imagine you picking up minis and then all of a sudden there's a little army just on the floor in here staring at me. <laughs> just going to look it's like a, an army of hellhounds and devils. It'd be great. Uh, no, so Harbor Freight, uh, it's a store that we have in this area. I don't know if you have it in your particular area, but... Uh, cheap hardware stuff. Super cheap and usually pretty good quality. So they had, it was kind of like a, a bit drawer or like for screws and whatnot. And it kind of latches out and then it has slide-in options for like a tackle box, the little boxes. So I bought that and one of those held an entire case. Um, the only thing it did not hold were like the larger things, yeah. which in that case I bought a travel style holder in the idea of well if i need to go over to our friend's house and play well i can travel with the minis i have and not have to take the bigger item see being a mobile dm with all of this gear gets very elaborate it does and that's not even considering like luggage like to carry this stuff like there's DD bags you can buy that are usually about 60 to 85 dollars i guess that whole roll behind yeah you got the whole roll behind thing. we bought joel it was a uh, an 85 dollar bag so i know it's gorgeous Oh my God, it's amazing. So we picked that up for his birthday and yeah, he can roll up his map, put it in the back. You know, he has like a slot for 12 or 15 minis that he can put in there. It doesn't hold larger ones though, only little ones. And it holds all the books and everything else he needs. So yeah, I've, dude, I've prepped like seeing what you did and what Joel did. And like, I've got a DD application now on my phone where it has different sounds and music I can play yep. directly from the phone. Uh, it's all super cool. So that's all the big pickups on that end and uh, i do have some more oh yeah actually i've got tasha's cauldron of everything special edition coming through and then i did obviously pick up the avernus book there was a special edition cover for that that i showed you which is yeah. badass with the skull in the front and i also picked up uh, a couple books since then I picked up the or three books, the Icewind Dale book, so I can pull out of that at any point. Uh, obviously not for this campaign, but any future like one shots, I can kind of build off of that. I picked up a supplemental guide, two supplemental guides that somebody made. One of them was on encounters. So it has like one shots built within it, along with different encounters like the, the boards and showing you on a D100 what you could get. And then I got another one of... It's specifically for inns and markets, I believe. and Or no, inns and taverns is what it was. And pretty much it just kind of shows you a map of different inns you can create in this open world. So when I go to 
Avernus, um, and we go into, uh, I think it's Eltriel, I think is, or Eltriel, I forget the name of the, uh, the other city. But when you go in there, it's a city that's kind of been put down into hell and dragged down by Zariel. And really in that area, like there's, I don't think there's a whole lot of inns built into it, but I want to be able to have it to where my characters can go to an inn that say is run by devils. So the idea would be to kind of just make an inn and using the structure of the supplemental book to be able to create those inns just and plug have and play those characters. Assets. Yeah. So pretty cool stuff with that. So those are all my pickups and holy crap, is that a lot of pickups since we did this last episode and that last episode we did about 50 plus episodes ago. So it's been over a year. Yeah. It's been almost a year actually since we did that. Go on now. Uh, What's next, Ryan? What's next? Uh, So next up, John, why don't you tell us about the current campaign you're playing in? Because like I said, so uh, last time I think I had just finished doing like the wedding in my campaign or I was getting close to it because that's kind of why I was like, I remember pushing like being like, I don't want to record this episode until I do the wedding. And I had like all the different cards with all the different uh, people from this like drinking guild. And all of them were like characters on cards and they were drawing cards for whenever they went up to somebody to see like who that character would be. Yeah. And that was a ton of fun. And I got a couple different leads for my players to go on of where they wanted to go next. And that was just kind of about the time that everything fell apart. And we all kind of got a little bit busy, a little bit disinterested. I mean, we were like 20 something sessions in by that point. And that's about as long as we'd ever been going through a single campaign it's just it's a lot to keep a group together i mean we still hang out every week me and that group of people but it's just not always you don't always want to do D, and once you kind of fall out it's kind of like okay you know when are we going to get back when are we going to get back and then people lose interest in getting back and you just kind of never restart again i feel like there's so many campaigns that start It's so few campaigns that end that moving forward, once I start to like, I've already have my next campaign that I really want to run in mind and I've got it mostly all outlined and planned out to be like nine sessions. Like I feel like the next time I run D and D, I definitely want to have an established beginning, middle and end instead of running some open-ended sandbox because you can always just like basically make your own module that's complete and then develop a new module on top of that later yeah and so we'll get into a little deeper here but the uh the campaign i'm currently in on the side so not my campaign i'll be running we've been doing it for well over a year i think at this point and it's been great i mean we're level nine which is not a lot of levels when you think about it. And to kind of It's crazy how that happens, huh? Yeah, and to kind of give you an idea on this Avernus campaign, it's a level 1 to 13, but the entire campaign should only take they say between 28 and 52 sessions, like <sighs> one sessions. Well, and here's the thing, like as I was going through the book and I'll talk about this a little later in, in my questions to you. I'm looking at in this in the structure of it it's like there's one particular battle and or okay, so I'll kind of go over the basic of the start, right? So you start off with like the Flaming Fist, which is this group of like mercenaries and their leader was in the city. It was brought down to hell. And now it's chaos and refugees coming in from the city and knights from the other city and things are going haywire. 
Baldur's Gate's already ridiculous in murder and, you know, crime and everything else. So it's like trying to keep the structure of that too. And the one thing that I notice is like, okay, you have to find a captain. The captain tells you what you want to do. The players at that point, you'd be like, yeah, let's go to the bar. Okay, cool. Like you go to the bar. Hey, we're so-and-so. Oh, she's upstairs. Okay, cool. You go upstairs and you talk to her for a little bit and you might mingle in the bar. But then the first battle comes in with her like enemies that she wants you to defeat. And that's it. Like that's that part. And you go to level two. So I'm like, I could easily get characters to level two after just one session. Well, there's a big difference between level two and like level 12 to 13. There there's is... a lot of experience in between there. If you're even going to do experience. Well, level no, like... I'm going to do it based off the book structure. So the book actually has it structured nicely enough to where, you know, because I know when we were playing uh, your campaign, the um, it was about a level a chapter or so. Yeah. Whereas this one is like three chapters or four chapters and each chapter has like four levels. Okay. So it goes off of key battles. So once you finish a key battle, it's like you're level two. Okay, let's go to the next area. All right. Now you're level three. Now, the cool thing is that the book does outline. Excuse me. The book does outline on there. Hey, uh, you know, if you are going to quicken a campaign, you can do these other sub battles for these level of characters refer to page X. Then you can go in and, and have that specific thing. So I've been digging into it and uh, there's some cool stuff in there. But for the current campaign, uh, you know, to update everybody on where we were, I was playing Hemo, the drunken master, and he was a uh, obviously a, a drunken master monk. And so Hemo decided, um, you know, he was enveloped by power when he got a crystal that allowed him to summon an earth elemental in the earth plane. And so when we finally got back up to the top... Wait, from the Earth plane or in the Earth we were, plane? We were in the Earth plane is where I got it, and okay. we came up to the material plane. And so, basically, our DM has this one particular character that my character absolutely despises, and that character stole his flask of never-ending booze. You and don't do that. You don't do that to a drunk. So, basically, he went on a rampage trying to find it, and... in pretty much took his earth elemental to try and kill that character to get his flask and destroyed an entire inn and bar with the earth elemental, like crumbled it to the ground. So because he had saved this entire city that was kidnapped, because uh, they were all taken down as slaves to the earth plane where we saved them, um, he ended up getting a, an okay sentence, owing like 30,000 gold, had to rebuild the town and take however long of months in prison. So... That's kind of how that ended, and there was a trial and everything, so it was the trial of Hemo, and uh, there was multiple halflings that were trying to defend him and everything else. Like, it was fun. And so when that was all said and done, we had talked during that last episode that we recorded for D&D that I was going to make a, um, what was it? It was going to be a barbarian uh, gnome, right? And I was going to have a giant battle axe and raging barbarian and everything else. I kind of deviated from that because gnomes are just not the best barbarian type characters. Well, I don't even structure. think gnomes can wield like two handed weapons like that. Can they? Well, I don't think it matters. I mean, it's a barbarian. It's just however you want to flavor it. So I ended up doing a dwarf, but I made sure the dwarf I picked was a smaller stature dwarf. So not as tall as your normal dwarf, not as stocky. So she's kind of ripped and thin and she has a, uh, a maul that she carries on her back. And of course, just your standard leather, you know, no standard armor, and a warhammer. She's also a path of the zealot for barbarian. So I got that from the Xanathar's Guide. And really what that allows me to do is like every single turn, I can do 1d6 of extra damage on uh, my first attack. 
And then the DM has allowed me for my Warhammer to have it embedded with lightning magic. So as I wield it every turn, I can roll a D4 extra lightning damage that sparks out so from the... pumping out like an extra D10. Yeah, I'm pumping out like an extra D10 at least on the first hit. Plus I've got, you know, as a barbarian, I've got reckless. So I'm hitting with advantage every single turn, uh, unless it's something that I have disadvantage. And... Um, what else do we got for that character? Uh, obviously two attacks and the war. Oh, and I've got a uh, weapon master, heavy weapon master on there. So I can deal if I'm using my maul, I can do two. Uh, I can add an extra D 10 as long as I take five off the top on the roll. But with mm. reckless, I'm rolling with advantage every time. So why not on low end enemies that are like a 15 AC, I'm here swinging, you know, at a 12 or something or, or no more like a 14. I'm hitting them regardless. And I'm dealing Dude, there were times like in battle, I was dealing somewhere on my turn around 65 damage. DPS. It's ridiculous. But obviously the downside is while raging. Oh, and the rage bonus too. Yeah. But while raging, you know, you take half damage on certain types of attacks. So that's always good. And um, my AC is like a 17 with that barbarian. It's insane because I got magic items on it. So that character's named Sonya and uh, is absolutely ridiculous and OP. And in that campaign, we have... Uh, killed off one character three times in our uh, Angela, actually. Uh, she has died three times in the campaign. And uh, it's hilarious because Ginny keeps bringing her back every damn time. And she's like, no, I want to make a new character. Like she's, <laughs> she's been like planning out like to do it. But like from a story component, you have to try. You can't just be like, no, my character's dead and that's it. Well, I mean, there is the idea that it's like if you're a paladin in that world, you die, you literally get to go be with your god. Yeah. So you're kind of keeping that person from a glorious afterlife to draw them back down into the dregs of having to do menial fetch quests and fight well, evil lords and stuff. And on our most recent thing, uh, we literally had to do... Um, and also make them have to hang out with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so on our recent one, she actually turned into a zombie. Angela Ooh. did. So she turned into a zombie, was killed... And then we had to do, was it true reincarnation or something like that? So she turned in from a halfling to now a wood elf. What? <laughs> yeah. So we, we had to because that's how it works. That particular spell, it randomizes like what you turn into. So it you randomizes can bring, your race, you come back. Yeah. Guys. So you, you take the soul of that character and you put it into pretty much a new shell. And they're the same old person, just yeah. now in a new body. So that was pretty funny how that all worked out. And then he, uh, Joel has the characters or, um, her particular character's parents are like these parents that are like super like, are you okay? Is this okay? Like, how are you doing? Like yeah, and yeah. every time he's like send message, it always cuts off in the middle. Cause uh -huh. they're asking so many questions. So now she has to go back to her parents is like from a halfling to, yeah, I kind of died three times and now I'm an elf. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's been pretty cool. And uh, we're now in the fire plane in a battle that seems like it's going to, you know, TPK us all. We're fighting like, a horde of fire giants at level nine and i don't know how this is gonna work yeah that seems rough and one just came out with like two gargantuan shields on its side so yeah it's gonna be interesting and we've got dwarves fighting along us now so it's actually my character's backstory funny enough that's tied in because it just happened to work out that our dm was going to go into gauntelgrim anyways in the fire plane like that was his next steps and I happened to make a dwarf like uh -huh. before he let us know that's what was happening. So he's like, well, I guess we'll do your backstory now. Perfect. So it worked out. But yeah, that's that's what we got going on my campaign. Um, OK, so let's go into our next part, man. Uh, a DMing guide for starters, really. 
So obviously I'm gonna be looking to do a campaign here. So I'm gonna kind of branch out to you on this and ask you questions. And we know you're no Matthew Mercer, but you have the experience. Well, and let me just say as a starter, I got a good way for anybody to cheat. I think I mentioned this a bunch last time, but I'll go ahead and mention it again here. You know, DMing is tough and it takes years and years of experience to get good at it. I barely have a year or two of experience, so I'm not like the best by any stretch of the imagination. But I did find out you can cheat. You can get a lot of free experience by watching hundreds and hundreds of hours of YouTube videos and tutorials and advice. So I would definitely point you to go online, find some good YouTubers. I can recommend uh, Matt Colville. I can recommend Don Forgecast. Uh, those are two people that really I learned a whole lot from. So if you're going to be a new DM, like go online, learn from other people's experience, take up their stuff. Uh, the angry GM has a bunch of good articles on his website, breaking down stuff and like looking at things in a different way. Uh, you can really cheat out some of that experience and give yourself a little bit more of a pep and also lean into your strengths. You don't always have to try to be the best DM at everything. Everybody's going to be good at something. So if there's something that really draws you into DMing, lean on that. Yeah, like I know for sure I'm not going to be like amazing at voices when I do this, but my strength is probably going to be more on the structure and how this works and the timing of things. So uh, for me as a planning perspective, I want to be able to create a world that my players are going to enjoy. But at the same time, I need to keep it structured enough so that the story flows so we don't deviate to, you know, 10 million different things in the campaign. Well, and you're using a from, book. Yeah, I am. But I mean, you could still deviate. Like the characters can say, like, there's actually a uh, part of this book says after you defeat this pirate, you can go take on the 11 other pirates guarding the ship. And now you own the ship and you can have it crewed. Mm -hmm. Like if I had characters decide we're going to go ahead and take a pirate ship and have a whole adventure on a ship that just throws everything out now obviously i can do things like you know this ship has a hole in its mass and it's going to cost x amount of thousands of gold to repair it and whatever you know may happen or you get there and you know one of the last pirates you know detonates some sort of like black powder bomb on the ship and it it blows up the hole like there's different things that you can do to prevent that from happening which your character your players are not necessarily going to like but if you got to keep them structured you got to keep them structured so I guess my first question for you is like, how the hell do you typically plan? Like, especially from a book, like it lays it out for you. So are you using sticky notes? Are you using a notepad? Like, what do you yeah, do? So plan? it's I mean, for me, I like to have everything structured. I actually use the same program that we use for outlining our podcast. I use OneNote and I go in and I have like a certain structure. Let me just pull that up real quick. So I have a structure that I lay out where I try to do, and I was mostly doing, I mean, for your guys' campaign, I was running from a book, which I wasn't as big a fan of. I like the idea of using a book as a way to get other people's ideas for free and plug them into my own thing more than I think I would ever want to just try running from a book straight up again. As a first-time DM, though, Having a book is probably going to be my better option only because it doesn't force me to world build and that the world's already kind of built. So I yeah, just kind of yeah. go off of the notes and the story is laid out like there's literally paragraphs that say 
read this to your characters. But you also, it's going to make you feel more bound. Like just because you have a book, like there was a lot of stuff that I did in your guys' campaign that wasn't necessarily by the book. And sometimes they got can bite you in the butt like you guys uh went to a tavern once and you found a guy from the surface who you were able to get the grackle tea from uh, to help yeah. with the grackle Timber. lock <laughs> and i immediately had to kill off that character because you guys were like well can't you just show us the way to the surf and he was like uh, i don't know i've been down here doing my research and i'm supposed to be down here for a couple more months and you guys were like i guess we can just hang out here with you oh yeah that's right and so it's like well i've got to kill this guy because <laughs> i i screwed myself and i gave them a way out that they're not supposed to have access to yeah that was actually now that you mentioned it was pretty funny and then you had them killed by were rats that were part of part of Our the crew. group yeah. yeah and then but i also let you go riding a dragon through the town with a power that you got from uh Zugtmoy that doesn't even exist in the book like none of that stuff about Zugtmoy giving somebody a power and all that stuff like that was just all made up but you know it was worth it and it was fun yeah but that's the thing it's like just because you're going out of the book doesn't mean that you can only do what's in the book and like if your crew does des or your players do decide to take over a pirate ship like eliminating the pirate ship and taking that away from them might not be the right thing to do like let them take the pirate ship and you can use your your structure in a way to benefit you so like maybe when you are like, outlining like there are islands that are on the outskirts of that city. So that could be a separate adventure that they have to go to that particular island per well, se. Even this way. So this is a good way to kind of outline and keep track of your things. So instead of saying, you know, we have a road where we're going, you know, we're going to start at A. We're going to follow this road. We're going to get to B. We're going to follow the road and we're going to get to C. You can just have A, B and C because you know where the players are. You know where they're going to go and you know what's going to happen in the middle. Let the players take whichever road they want to go on because they don't know that it's going to ultimately lead to the same place. So like one of the best examples I have of this that I did in like my first campaign, I had my players came to a city. I knew that there was a bad guy in the city. So I was like, okay, how can they find out how to get to this bad guy? So I have the starting point and the ending point. And I came up with like four or five different options that were reasonable. Like, okay, if they go to the brothel, they can talk to this person and they'll give them this advice. If they go to the docks, they'll talk to this person. And they'll give them this advice. But all of those advices kind of lead in the same direction. So you give the players the freedom and, you know, the reward to feel like they made the decision to get to where they're going, even though all loads roads eventually lead to Rome. Gotcha, gotcha. So if there's so one of the things I want to do is create within Baldur's Gate. Obviously, you've got the first section in which uh, they can go to, but I want to create like some shops and I want to make sure I get a couple inns and different things set yep. in play. So that way there is an opportunity for them to do that. And, you know, I may have it to where that character in particular that they're looking for in the tavern isn't there at that point in time. Like, oh, yeah, she just left a little bit ago. She went to X location. She goes to a shop. So that way to puts the characters on a path where not only am I able to expand upon the amount of time of the campaign and what it takes in that session, I'm not forced to go through that structure of like, okay, A to B to C, and that's the end of the chapter. You're all level, you know, one or level two, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. It forces them to have to go to a tavern or have to go to an inn or a shop or something along those lines and explore the streets and see the beggars and like really kind of 
create this world for them. So, yeah, that, that sounds pretty straightforward. Yeah, um, I it, usually find that it's better to like outline. So like I have an outline where I have, OK, here's here's the recap. Because a recap is very important, and Angry DM actually has a really good article that I use as a reference point to break down the recap. Then I have uh, encounters. I've got like a list of like all the possible encounters that they could run into. Not in extreme detail. You're going out of a book. All those details are written down there. So just give yourself some bullet points so that you've got a short list to look at, and maybe just write like the page number next to the bullet point so you know where to go in the book and reference it. Then I've got a list of important NPCs that might come up in this episode, you know, or this session. So for the most part, like if they're not going to run into it this one, but they might run into it next session, like you could just copy and paste all of these, you know, bullet points so that you're not having to type everything out every time or write everything down every time. Now, I guess and then I... a set of locations. So it's like as long as you have like. The encounters that they might run into, the people they might run into, and the places they might go, everything else is really up them to them to decide how they're going to get there and which way they're going to go. And, you and all you need to know is the key points. Yeah, and you present those key points as opportunities for them to go to. So it, they, it lets them think that there is some sort of structure, or not structure, but there is some sort of like openness to yeah. what they're doing and they have the ability to explore but at the same time you are limiting their options to where it stays within the structure of the story exactly and i mean you know there's no accounting for all players like the players that like you put a quest giver in front of and then they turn around and they're like hey we should go open a tannery and it's like well you could do that but all the plots over this direction yeah. so a meteor strikes the town yeah like unwilling players are not the same as players that want to like you know explore like they're, they're two totally different things like good players want to work with you because you're all trying to work together to tell this story and everybody's got to kind of like play their role gotcha oh man i, I can't wait to get into uh there's certain parts in that story where like when you go into boulder's gate uh, well, when you're in the city, there's a game called Boulder's Bones where it's just dice. Mm -hmm. And one of the characters you're going to be coming across uh, cheats at the game. So I'm just going to be pretty much rolling till I hit a snake eyes is all I'm doing. So I'll just keep rolling. Yep, you lose. Yep, you lose. Like every time you just lose. Oh, you want a game like just kind of throw it in there. But I'm going to do it to where like her dice are loaded. This particular character and just kind of toss her right now that they're winning money. You should get actual loaded dice. Oh, that'd be hilarious. And then you can just like roll openly. Yeah, that'd be pretty funny. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's uh, that's really what we're looking at for that part. I guess one of the other things is when you're creating voices, how the hell do you keep track of that? So, like, my thought has been put down a list of the NPCs and what they are and then put, like, Jersey accents. So you got your Jim Jaw going in there and, like, Italian or whatever it may be, like, Southern and just kind of list down, like, this NPC, this voice, so I don't forget. Because one of the things I've noticed, and I guess you and Joel have done this, is we'll have a certain character and like we hear it all the time so we're like cool and then you start on it and we're like that's not that character's voice that's not right and you gotta have to refer back to your like wait hold on how did this person sound and then like try and like get that memory back because maybe the character hasn't been in play for you know 12 15 sessions whatever it may be and then you kind of you have to draw yourself back and i'm like okay cool like this is how he's supposed to sound or she so uh in out of the abyss which i ran for you guys you start off with like i think it's like 
too many seven or eight npcs in your group with you so each of those characters had like a section in the book where it gave like their backstory and a little bit about them and so like i came up with their voices and actually used my phone to record voice memos of me reading their description out loud so that I could listen to it if I ever needed to have those voices because I knew that these were going to be like reoccurring characters that I would have to be like pretty up on their voices whereas like like you said somebody else's voice it might not quite sound right but for the most part like in a home campaign you can get away with it like obviously like you know Matt Mercer is a professionally trained voice actor he also has everything that he's done on camera recorded already so he can always refer back to actual footage for that uh and you know he's probably just way better at memorizing that type of stuff and you know that's his job he interacts with that type of thing you can't be expected to be up to that standard so don't hold yourself to that high of a standard just do the best you can but yeah like a voice memo on a phone is like the perfect way because you can just like do a few lines like hey i'm jim i'm from such and such a place i do this and that and that you know like you give yourself like you know a paragraph of a description in the voice of the character reading it so that you can refer to it and that's that's like the best thing that i ever did or like if you know the character well enough like especially in like a homebrew campaign where it's like you're making the npcs like I feel like it's even easier to do it there because it's like you built that character. You know who that character is and like at their core what they're all about. So it's a lot more built into you because you were the designer. Yeah, and I'm also going to try and uh, pull like some voices from other campaigns whatnot. So like I'll pull Jim Jar actually might be a character I resurface Okay. in this campaign at some point just like, don't have a whole city of them no oh my god that was hilarious so yeah we'll bring, i don't know if we brought that up on the last episode but you know ryan had like this nerf snurf neblin uh jim jar and it's just like this jazzy accent and everything going on like this really nasally sound and uh we ended up in a city of snurf neblins and then it's like well, all ryan, of dude, them it, it was jersey <laughs> they went to underground jersey so i had to do a whole city of oh my god look at you that was seriously hilarious. And just, just like trying to like just like everybody basically sounded the same. Like I did my best to try to make NPCs, just random NPCs sound slightly different. And God, Ryan, it was a it was a mess. Ryan's face when like we looked at him and just said, so Ryan, Jim Jar's accent, that's native to his place, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And later on the campaign, uh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> it was good stuff, dude. See, that's another good point. If you are going to do out of a book, the way that they say to prep a campaign from a book is to read through the whole book and then be a chapter ahead as you're actually doing the play. I never finished reading all the way through Out of the Abyss, and I'm pretty sure I did not get to Blingdon Stone by the time that I decided on those accents. So had I known that we would have been going there, I may have made different decisions. <laughs> so I've looked at, at least for mine, because it is a shorter book and it's broken out from like Boulder's Gate to you go off to Eltriel, I think is how you pronounce it. And then you go to Avernus and it's like that's kind of where it goes. Right. So I don't know necessarily that I'm going to read like a chapter ahead. I might read like a session ahead is what I'm thinking. 
Um, and the reason I say that is for one thing, I fall asleep consistently while reading. So for me planning, it's been super difficult. Like I'll pick up the book and I'll go through and I'll read a number of chapter or a number of pages. And I'm like, I'm out. Like I'm going to read in the afternoon then. I don't have any time in the afternoon because I'm working and then I got other stuff. So by the time I can actually sit down and read, it's like nine, 10 o'clock at night and it's just like falling asleep. So I can go through a few pages and be good. I think I've got it structured enough to where as long as I put enough filler in, I can probably get myself ahead to where, you know, kind of what we mentioned with um, the side pieces, right? Like the side parts of a campaign and, and going there, like instead of having the characters go from point A to point B and then we talk and then we do point C, it's let's go to point B. And then, oh, yeah, this character is not here right now. Okay, you have time to explore now. That takes a good hour to hour and 10 minutes to do something else and world build with the characters, which allows me to branch on the actual story and do what I need to do. That's also how you get into a situation like we had in our campaign where we spent like sessions and sessions with nothing actually getting done. Well, I mean, I'm going to do other stuff in there. So it it might every time that you deviate from the book to fill you're that's all you're doing you're not moving the story forward so it's like you're gonna have to wind up improving a lot of stuff that had you just read an extra 10 pages on mm-hmm. you could be 10 pages further into the book already yeah good point so yeah i'll, I'll look into that too then so i would definitely advise you like you want to be far enough ahead that if you know your players make a decision that you didn't account for that maybe the book doesn't account for and find a shortcut. You don't want to have to scramble as much because it's, I mean, until you're like really experienced, like I don't feel like I ever did like a super amazing job of being able to just like crunch fill for time. That's going to be as enjoyable as something that you've actually spent time thinking about and prepping. Yeah. So Right now, I'm only on that first part of a chapter, so I think the chapter in general is about 40 pages, and I'm probably 10 into it, so it'll probably be a better idea to at least finish this week, read the full chapter, understand where the story is, go back, take notes, and add supplemental areas as needed, just in case, keep it flowing, but I do intend on, see, so when I say, like, the character's not at point B, and we gotta go to point C, it might, it's probably gonna be one of those things of, like, you get there and the character, like the players get to that scene in like an hour of gameplay, a normal session we're playing three hours. So if my characters are going to bang through it in like an hour and a half, I need that extra content. So that's where it's like, okay, let's go to point B and then the character's not there. So let's go to this other inn where the character might be staying or they're at this particular shop, meet them there mm-hmm. afterwards, like catch them there, do what you need to do, go back to point B and then let that part of it fulfill. So it's kind of what I'm looking at, not necessarily like branching out, like we're going to do a whole separate session, but more of branching out to expand on the timing of the campaign and allow that world building, but still kind of go back to where we need to go. That's what I'm thinking. Um, Okay. And then preparing for battles. So this one I've kind of looked into a bit, essentially pre-rolling initiatives is something I've heard is fantastic to do. So I'm going to probably do a lot of that. And then obviously having those battle sheets ready, like knowing which particular characters or not characters, but enemies are in battle, where they're located on the map, kind of what they would be doing strategically, like understanding those things so that when you're actually playing, you have in your mind, okay, cool, like this type of enemy is going to be attacking X for whatever reason. And then having those initiatives pre-rolled is nice because then you're not dealing with needing to roll 12 sets of dice in order. It's more of 
hey, I just rolled, you know, all of this dice the night before. And my characters, I only have three, four people. I have to roll initiatives now. That's kind of what I'm looking at. Yeah. So for combat, there's a lot of different stuff uh, that's helpful. Obviously, you're going from a book. So all of your combats are laid out for you in the book and should be, you know, put at, I mean, whatever challenge that they feel is appropriate in there um for anybody else out there running their own stuff i've got a couple of good resources there is a random encounter generator from tools.goblinist.com and then kobold fight club kobold fight club is one of my favorite resources it's a page where you can go in and you can search by uh challenge rating size type alignment uh, environment you know you can just basically kind of plug in whatever kind of criteria you're looking for and find a you know all of the different creatures from it's got like all of the different supplements and stuff that are out for 5e and you can say okay i have this many players at this level what kind of challenge am i looking looking at here like how difficult is this going to be for my party to fight against and cr as much as wizards would want you to believe is not an exact science Using the CR tools to calculate CR is not really a good indication because players are just so creative. And also, like, even though the flattened math gives everything like a pretty decent, like, you know, on par kind of skill, like you can still get into a fight with a group of goblins, miss every attack and have them crit you every turn, you know. And depending on how you run combat and how you run your dice, whether you're always rolling out in the open or you're rolling behind the screen whether you're fudging results uh building for tension i mean there's so many tools that you as the dm don't have to be forthcoming with because sometimes drama is better built than what the dice really give you the opportunity for if every combat you go into your players just squash it they're going to be really you know overconfident and they might get like just swat down by a night of bad luck one night and you know vice versa like your players could be constantly just getting their asses handed to them but you as the dm have that room and you don't have to feel apologetic for using it but the thing is you need to have consistency because if you're choosing when to roll behind the screen strategically versus when you're rolling out in the open like they might not trust that you're always fudging those dice behind the screen or you know, they might, you know, feel one way or the other. And that's kind of a decision for you as a DM to make, like how comfortable you are with those things. But also, you know, a really knowledgeable player that's also DM'd a bunch and is very, you know, familiar with the monster manual, they're going to know a lot of the enemies that they're running into. So you can always go in and change things a little bit yourself. Like, the HP that it says, it usually gives you an average, but there is like a role like this monster has, you know, this many D8 plus this number health, you know, maybe this one's extra strong and has 50 extra health, or maybe this one's extra weak. And, you know, your player just like rolled a really good hit off of like something and has an amazing description of their attack. And you just decide, well, it dies now because it would have died next turn anyway. So, why not let that character have that moment? Yeah, so uh, I did that kind of in my one shot because I was looking at the challenge rating. I'm like, there's no way that this is going to be 
hard enough for them. So I modified certain things to where like instead of 2d6 or something for an attack, I was doing 2d8 for an attack. Instead of the HP being 110, I made it 130. Like little things in there to kind of boost up that difficulty for the players, knowing that they would be crafty. And God, it got to a point where I had them battling a young dragon in a one shot and they they destroyed the young dragon. Like there was no way for that dragon to survive at any point, even with the challenge being up. So I had to do certain things to kind of boost that up and and fudge a few things, throw in an extra enemy. Like they thought, oh, the young dragon's done. And then I had um, a frost giant come out, like appear within. Like the frost giant was part of my supplemental of if they defeat things too quickly, throw in the frost giant. So I had the frost giant coming in that play. Um, so yeah, I totally see that component uh, for sure. So I'll be keeping an eye on that when when I'm actually running this. Um, let's see. So let's, uh, another thing with, you know, all of the stay at home orders and everything that's happened over the last year playing virtually. So I don't know how much you've done, but when the whole coronavirus thing kind of kicked off, we were like, well, let's take precaution. Let's play online. So we decided to just use roll 20. And I think it's like five bucks a month for a DM. And then the players can go in for free. You have the battle sheets in there. It has all the dice rolls. You build it in. Um, for like extra cash, you can actually buy like shadow effect battle mats and stuff and throw in your enemies and with pictures. So it's, it's pretty cool. And everything we would do, like the audio would come through discord, but we would have video coming through, um, roll 20. And then we had uh, music that would go through discord as well. It would play. And so we had a lot of fun with that, but it's not the same in, in my opinion, like there's pros and cons the atmosphere that you have in an in-person session versus you would have in a virtual session is just a hundred percent, not the same. It doesn't feel the same because the dice rolls aren't really in, in your hands necessarily. It's kind of based on a random number generator within a computer system versus like crap. Like I rolled, you know, a nat one and like, there's people just get that. together to roll dice and kill monsters. Yeah, and when it, you can't roll the dice. Yeah. It, it takes it all away. Like not being able to roll the dice is, Kind you of can't sucky. be able to you can't look in people's eyes you can't give people that like uh you know well did i tell you it's what, not the same i didn't tell you what happened in the maybe we talked about on that episode with justin but while we were playing that D campaign i rolled my character was on the verge of death in that one shot and his character was just wailing on me because i was stuck in a death corner within the map and i had a hide in plain sight was the ability i had and so I went like I deviated around his character and I rolled for hide in plain sight. And the only way the DM was going to allow me to like land that move is if I rolled a nat 20 and I rolled a nat 20 and just looking at everybody's face on the table and the yelling that occurred with that was just hilarious. Like that's the atmosphere that you have with this and virtually you can kind of get it, but it's not the same. The pro on virtual though, is like if you got a buddy that lives across the country or in a, or in a different country, you can play virtually at any point and like you can have that fun on a week weekly basis or monthly basis yeah it can definitely be a tool to bring people together and you know i feel like if you're somebody just coming up like i mean not that i've been doing DD like my whole life by any means but like i definitely started in person but i feel like if you were to get started online and you didn't know any different like i feel like there's a whole world of opportunity out there because you can like i just heard this example uh, a week or two ago in a live stream where it's like you could use like, you know, text chat in roll 20 to say things that you wouldn't necessarily say at the table. Like if two people are having a conversation, you can just type in the chat like, 
Nicodemus looks slyly like he knows exactly what you're talking about, but doesn't want to say it out loud. And it's like you could throw out like little descriptors of what your character's doing that don't necessarily have to stop the whole game. Like otherwise, you know, if two people are engaged in a conversation, like when you're playing at the table, it can be hard to tell when to jump in, like when people are done talking. So if two people are talking and you want to like do something that participates in that conversation, but without having to stop everybody, look at me. Okay. Now go back to what you were doing. Like those cues aren't always picked up on. Like it's not always going to transition well, but when you have like a text area that you can just type anything you want and it's not going to pull away, like you can really have some, extra advantages that you don't have at the table and also having all of the moves pre-programmed in there oh super helpful where you don't have to look up the rules every time and it'll do all the roles for you and everything like you can actually probably speed up combat a lot more by playing on roll 20 than you can do by playing in real life oh 100 100 man like if I, when i have to sit there and calculate rage damage tied in with what i'm normally doing tied in with weapon master tied in with zella like when i'm doing all of that and then oh yeah that's just attack number one here's attack number two it's a bitch it's actually pretty rough so yeah i mean those are definitely the pros and cons that are tied to that um yes i mean that's really the questions i had for you man today on DD uh with everything going on and obviously starting a new campaign I did notice, however, uh, you know, we had mentioned at the beginning board games we've recently picked up and games we're currently playing. And while I, I have been playing, you know, a campaign, uh, I have picked up a couple board games I forgot to mention earlier. So I'll bring that now. Uh, I picked up a uh, kind of a visual, you know, those uh, dungeon crawler games or like the click through games where it's like this, this and this happens. Click A to go here, click B to go here. And you kind like of choose your own adventure. Yeah, choose your own adventure type deal. So I got one of those from my wife since we last uh, did this episode. I picked up another game called Blockus, which we'll play during our Friendsgiving, which is amazing. It's like Tetris, but on a board and with four people. It's actually pretty fun. So we'll play some of that. And uh, which I highly recommend, by the way, like if you're into like those family type games, it's a lot of fun. And then I picked up Justin's Magic Collection. So he came here with oh yeah two suitcases filled with magic cards and like three postal boxes filled with magic cards. It it was an insane amount of magic cards. So I am how many pounds of magic cards? A hundred and ten. I I remember that specifically because he took a picture of his scale with all of them stacked up to the top and it was a hundred ten. It was a lot of magic, and I've only so I decided to start going through my stuff to see like what I had prior because I had as big of a collection as he did. And so while going through my stuff, I've been pulling out all the dollar type stuff that's in there, like setting it aside. God, I've probably gone through easily like 20,000 cards and pulled out maybe a thousand that so are So this is what's keeping you busy in the afternoon instead of reading your your book oh, and no, prepping. I've, I've been flipping between the two. So I've been reading and then when I start getting sleepy, I organize and then I haven't been able to play as many video games because of all that, because there's so many cards I'm trying to get through. So, yeah, that was a big pickup. And, you know, Magic is a Wizards-type product. So you got books on Theros and Guilds of Ravnica and all of that uh, within the D&D world. And there's Magic cards that are that actually come from the Magic sets. You know, I actually saw a little bit of a side thing here, but for prepping... There's a fun way. I can't remember who the YouTuber was that showed me this, but uh, sometimes they would organize, like make a one shot or something. And they would just like 
go and grab a handful of magic cards and use those to build like oh so here's like a goblin so i can have goblins and like oh this is like kind of a cool looking town so i could set it in a town like this and like oh here's like a this wizard could be like the quest giver or something it's like you could just draw grab a random handful of magic cards and use those as like kind of like story dice in yeah, a way that's pretty cool that's a good way to plan dude magic cards have great art too. yeah so. I, i've used tons of magic the gathering art assets for images in D, &D mm -hmm. campaign yeah i did for ornstein i used jace belleron for ornstein that's right and ornstein may make an appearance on uh you know this campaign because you know ornstein was killed in your campaign do you have a bunch of jaces uh i got a few jaces i got two mind sculptors which are the, the better one um so what I'll end up doing probably in, in the upcoming campaign I do is because Ornstein was killed in your campaign. Well, where is he going to go? Straight to hell. Straight to hell. So, <laughs> uh, you know, with him being in Avernus, I might have him as some sort of NPC or gatekeeper. I, I got to see how he's going to play. You should have it. him fishing off of a pier catching poop. Actually, if I had a <laughs> river that just kind of goes through as Ornstein's lament, and all he can catch for the rest of eternity is brown fish. <laughs> that that would be brown hilarious. eels. Brown eels, just brown eels, just a pile of brown eels are right there in Ornstein's lament. So yeah, catch that other episode. I think uh, I think we talked about Ornstein's laments in that prior episode. But if not, you can also hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to ask us about Ornstein's lament. And that's going to be at Game Deflators on Twitter, at the Game Deflators on Facebook and Instagram. And then, of course, you can find us on all those awesome podcast applications out there like Podcast Addict, Podbean, Spotify, and uh, Apple Podcasts and really wherever podcasts are found. And, of course, leave us six-star reviews, but we will settle for five. So, uh, Ryan, that should conclude our episode today. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. Hopefully we can get you back into some D&D &D and get an episode three. Yeah, by the time episode three comes out, if I have... <laughs> I'm terrible. Why do you guys listen to me? Thanks for listening to me. Yeah, so uh, hopefully we can get an episode three of this down the road. If you enjoy it, let us know. And uh, also find us on thegamedeflators.com, and you can leave comments on the episode there. Uh, this has been, well, it's a filler, so uh, for later on down the road. So this has been a new episode of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. <laughs>